This is PsychOut, your podcast exploring the human mind and the foundations of human behavior. This is your host, Bert Kassman, and today we will be discussing that really sensitive topic about social control. Have you been programmed to react and or maybe even obey? Today we'll look at some historical research of the behaviorists. People thought that we are almost like a little computer that can be programmed to act the way other people want us to. Have you ever wondered why you automatically put your hand up if you want to ask a question in class? Or you ask to go to the toilet? Or when someone gives you something, you say please or thank you? It's because some wonderful person somewhere in your history programmed you to have good manners. This is wonderful conditioning because you have been programmed to function well in society. Now, there was a Russian scientist called Ivan Pavlov who was really fascinated by this concept. He had in his lab a whole bunch of dogs and he absolutely loved dogs. So in the mornings he would come out and feed the dogs. But he realized after a while that the creak of the door would immediately get the dogs to start salivating even before they saw or smelt the food. And he thought, I wonder if they've been programmed to know that that creak of the door is actually bringing the food. So he thought, what I would do is I would go and test whether I could get something that is a stimulus that could get them to respond. So that first phase of conditioning, he would have there's this unconditioned stimulus. And that was the bell. Now he'd take this bell and he'd ring it before he would bring out the food. Their unconditioned response was to immediately salivate when they saw food. But he wanted to link those two stimuli, the bell, which was an unconditioned stimulus, with this unconditioned response of salivating. So he would ring the bell every time when he brought out the food, and in no time the dogs would associate the bell with the food coming and they would start salivating. He went so far as to have little vials attached to the dogs to measure how much salivation would happen. The moment that they started responding to the bell, you could call that a conditioned stimulus, which was the bell. And now that conditioned stimulus would produce a conditioned response. Every time the bell rang, the dogs would salivate. He was fascinated by what he was able to do. And then he wondered whether he could actually make them stop again. So he would then go and ring the bell and not bring out any food. Ring the bell again, not bring out any food. He would do this for a few days. And suddenly the dogs would stop salivating if they heard it. And he called this extinction. That's when the response is extinguished after being shown several times without reinforcement. Now, then he wondered if he could get them to salivate again. So he would ring the bell and bring out food. And then the next time he rang the bell, they would salivate again. And he called this spontaneous recovery. 
they just recovered that habit immediately when it was reintroduced. So that's the reappearance of that extinguished response after a rest period. Now, that was a fascinating study that changed the way that people interacted with others. And it's been used many times. Um, you condition children how to behave in a classroom, but it's also been used with trying to get people to drop bad habits like smoking, picking your nose, sucking your thumb, chewing your, uh, your nails by doing things like putting aloe on your fingernails and when you chew it, it tastes horrible and you are conditioned to no longer like it. It's used in all kinds of aversion therapy where they would go and give people a little bit of an electric shock the moment that they would start smoking and they would start growing an aversion to it. Now, this study changed the way that people were viewed. Suddenly, they realized if we could condition animals this way, we could possibly condition people this way too. Today, we would agree that experimenting on children and making them cry is probably not socially acceptable. And the study we're going to look at was actually one of the landmark studies that caused researchers to have to go through an ethics committee to make sure that they do not do experiments on people who could be damaged for their whole lifetimes by what the experiment is trying to test. Now, John B. Watson was the researcher who wondered whether he could program a baby through classical conditioning to be scared of something. So he recruited a lady who worked at the university to bring in her little boy, which for the purposes of the research was called Little Albert. Little Albert loved animals. Any soft, fluffy animal would really start getting him giggling and very interested. He was an outgoing child, not scared of much. And he wanted to see if he could condition him to be scared. So. He had these unconditioned stimuli, which was a little white rat that he could pet and a white rabbit that he could pet. And they even brought in a little monkey and he loved touching all these fluffy animals and laughed when he touched them, really enjoying them. And then he thought, let me try to condition him. He brought in the little white rat, little Albert started patting the animal and then they hit a metal pipe with a hammer. This gave little Albert a massive fright and he started crying. Then they brought the white rat again. He wanted to touch it and as he touched it, they hit the metal pipe again. He got another big fright and started crying. The third time they did it, little Albert saw the rat coming and he started making the association that the white rat was the thing making the noise that scared him. And he started being had, having adverse effects and started crying the moment the rat was brought closer to him. Poor little Albert was now conditioned to be scared of that little white rat. And if you're scared of only one thing or you're conditioned to respond to only one thing, that's called stimulus discrimination. You know what is causing the effect and then you respond to it. But what happened to little Albert was not just stimulus discrimination. He was now scared of the white rabbit, the monkey, anything that was fluffy 
really got that stress response from him. And that was called stimulus generalization, where now one little white fluffy thing was generalized to every white fluffy thing that he could possibly touch, and that scared him. And this was a really scary study because people realized that you could instill fear in someone just through conditioning them to be scared of something that you want them to be scared of. Now you can imagine the potential for absolutely horrific experiments after this. Behaviorist experiments were getting more and more bizarre. Enter B.F. Skinner. B.F. Skinner is widely celebrated as one of the best researchers in the behaviorist field. Now, he started experimenting with rats. He wanted to see if he could get rats to do certain things if he rewarded or punished them. Now, he would have little boxes set up where a rat could come up to a little lever and if a certain light started lighting up, he could press the lever and he would either give him food or he might get an electric shock. He wanted to see if the reward of getting that food by pressing the lever would get the rat to do it over and over again. But if the other light started coming on and he pressed the lever, he might get an electric shock. Very quickly, the rats learned that if the one light is shining and you can press the lever, you can actually get a bit of food. And if the other light is shining, do not touch it because you're going to get an electric shock. This type of conditioning was called operant conditioning because now the subject of the study had to do something to operate it. This research became really interesting when the US government got B.F. Skinner to start experimenting on pigeons. He would get the pigeons to start tapping a little light to get food. Now, the main idea was to create a guidance system for missiles. Ridiculous as it sounds, they had pigeons trained to start tapping, tapping, tapping towards a little cross, which would be the crosshairs to guide the bomb to where it had to go. And the plan was to put the pigeon in the front of the missile and for that crosshairs to stay on the target. And the pigeon would pick the crosshairs until eventually it would hit the target. Now, luckily for all the pigeons, they um, invented computer-guided missile systems that were way more effective and no pigeons were actually blown up in the process. But through this process of conditioning, operant conditioning, they wanted certain things. The first things were the antecedents. They had prompts, modeling, feedbacks and goals, and then they wanted the behaviors to be changed, um, desired and undesired behaviors that they wanted to enforce and then there would be consequences there would be positive reinforcement negative reinforcement punishment and then they wanted to see what extinction and escape and avoidance would do to their subjects in skinner's experiments he used reinforcers now a reinforcers is any stimulus that can strengthen or increase the likelihood of a certain response or behavior so he's Positive reinforcers 
where a reward that strengthens a response by providing a pleasant or satisfying consequence. So if your pigeon would pick the little button, it would get a little bit of seed and it would enjoy that. That's positive reinforcement. But a negative reinforcer is the removal or reduction or prevention of an unpleasant stimulus. So if you wake up with a headache the day after a rock concert and you are unable to fix it by taking a headache tablet, it makes it very likely that you will have a headache tablet anytime you want to get rid of a headache. Or in the case of the pigeon, if the poor little pigeon is shocked with an electric current underneath the floor and it pegs that little button, the current goes away. So if it pegs a button, the negative thing that happens to it goes away. And this is negative reinforcement. Not to be confused with punishment, because punishment is a behavior followed by a negative experience. Now, the response cost is also important because it's a form of punishment that entails something desirable being removed, just as being grounded or losing your mobile phone or something like that. That's a response cost. So if you think about it, these three concepts are really important. The positive reinforcer is where you do something good to get something. Negative reinforcer is where you do something to make bad things go away, like an electric shock. And punishment is where you do a behavior, but then negative consequences follow. These concepts are really important to understand when we are discussing operant conditioning. Skinner also observed stimulus generalization and stimulus discrimination, just like they did in classical conditioning. Now, can you imagine that pigeon who picks a little button and then gets seed? Might generalize that into picking every single little button that you can possibly get, but some of them could have negative consequences, and then he would learn stimulus discrimination, that only this one button gives seed and not the others. So stimulus generalization, again, is when you generalize the stimulus to all the other things that might happen, Stimulus discrimination is if you know that it is only a specific one. So stimulus generalization would be if the pigeon is inside a box and gets shocked, he might expect that he's going to get shocked if he gets put into any box. Or he might realize through stimulus discrimination that only a certain box might give him an electric shock. And extinction and spontaneous recovery were also observed. Like, for instance, Say someone is not allowed to do gaming during the week, but when weekends come, suddenly they are out of their routine and they are gaming day and night. And then when the school holiday starts, there is just gaming all the time. But the moment that school starts again, now the person has to display the behaviors of someone who's going to school and immediately there is an extinction of that behavior and a spontaneous recovery of the behavior that was exhibited during term time. Classical conditioning provided a stimulus and received a response. Operant conditioning wanted the subject to do something or operate something so that they can get a response. The next study we're going to look at is 
how society actually influences our responses and how society could condition us to behave in certain ways. The researcher was Albert Bandura. Albert Bandura was really interested in how families interacted and how children learned through observational learning. He would see a mum wear makeup and dress a certain way and he'd see the little girl try to copy her mum in her behaviour. He would see that her dad would be shaving in the morning and the son would try to copy his dad by acting like he's shaving. Or a mother might be sitting feeding her baby and a younger child would come and sit with a doll and try to do exactly the same. And he would even observe that in some families where there was a lot of conflict, the children would exhibit very high levels of conflict in their relationship with other children. And this led him to try an experiment that became really infamous as the Bobo doll experiment. Bandura and his colleagues set up the experiment so that they could test how observing the behavior of an adult towards something called a Bobo doll, which was a big inflatable clown that could be pushed down and would bounce back up, they wanted to see whether that adult behavior towards it would influence the behavior of the children. Now, he created three different movies where adults would interact with this Bobo doll. He would show some children the one movie where the person is being very kind and spoke nicely to the Bobo doll. The others would say, see an adult kicking, punching and verbally abusing this Bobo doll. Now, the conditions were really important because he wanted to see if that modeling would be used by the children in their behavior towards the Bobo doll. So in group one was exposed to this aggressive model and this aggressive model was rewarded with lollies, soft drink and praise from another adult. Group two were exposed to aggressive model but this model was punished by spanking and verbal criticism from another adult. Group three were exposed to an aggressive model that received no consequences whatsoever. After viewing the film, each child was placed alone in a room with a one-way mirror and observed by the researchers. Some children were offered rewards as incentive for imitating the aggressive behavior, while others were offered no reward or incentive at all. The children who watched the aggressive model either being reinforced or experiencing no consequences imitated the model's aggressive behavior more than children who had watched the aggressive model being punished. However, when a reward was offered to the children as an incentive, even those who saw the model punished tended to imitate the model's behavior. This was groundbreaking research. This research led to Bandura forming the social learning theory. They worked out a few principles. Firstly, that people can learn by observing the behavior of others and the outcomes of those behaviors. This is called vicarious learning. Learning can occur without a change in behavior and cognition plays a role in learning and social learning theory can be considered a bridge or transition between the behaviorist learning theories and cognitive learning theories. So it kind of bridges that, that divide right there. Now, the steps of that observational learning process 
starts with stage one, its attention. The learner actively watches the model, just like they did in the Bobo doll experiment. In stage two, the learner stores the mental representation of the behavior through retention. That's the second stage. Now, the third stage is a reproduction of the learner's mental and physical ability to perform this behavior. So they reproduce the behavior that they stored. Now, the stage four is motivation. The environmental stimuli uh, make the learner wish to perform the behavior. So if the beha behavior is wished to be performed, the person will do it. If they don't want to do it, they won't. And then stage five is reinforcement. Now, the positive outcome means the learner will repeat the behavior when they are again motivated to do so. So let's take this as an ex example. A young girl is learning to cook from a parent. She sits and she watches the parent cut the carrots. They retain how the parent did it. Then they reproduce it. The child must have the ability to reproduce these mental pictures. And it doesn't mean they will take action but because they need motivation. But most children would want to copy the adult. They'll take that knife and they'll start cutting the carrots for the first time. Now, the motivation is really important. They must want to take action with a hope of desirable consequences. And many parents actually use this as a motivation to get their children to eat carrots. So once they've taken part in doing it and they get some satisfaction and praise out of it through reinforcement, the behavior will be reinforced. And now the learner gets praise and a reward. They get to eat the carrots that they cut and the parents praise them. But they will be discouraged if they are punished or experience rejection because of what they've done. So it's really important to reinforce that effectively. Now, there are different sources of reinforcement. The model, which could be the parent that praises the child. They could be a personal reward. The child gets a personal benefit and reward from copying the model. And the third person is the child copies a celebrity or another person and the parent praises the child. That vicarious reinforcement is if you watch someone else receive reward or punishment and working out that you can do it. This has happened to you before. You're sitting in class, someone does something wrong, they get told off by the teacher and you make up your mind you're never going to do that. This research by Bandera radically transformed the way that education was done and also now held adults responsible for their behavior as models in front of children. In this episode, we discovered how the behaviorists and their research showed us how people can be conditioned to behave in certain ways. We first looked at Ivan Pavlov with classical conditioning and how stimulus and response can follow each other. Then we looked at B.F. Skinner and operant conditioning, where the subject was required to do something to either get a punishment or reward. And then we looked at Albert Bandura's social learning theory, where people through vicarious learning and modeling could learn how to behave in society. These formed the foundations of that behaviorist worldview 
which wasn't complete until we started looking at some cognitive theories of behavior. Join us for the next episode when we will be looking at how social conditioning can turn really bad or really good when we start looking at a few really famous psychological studies.